Greetings and salutations from Times Square, crossroads of the world. This is the Muni Lowdown, produced by DebtWire Municipals, where we talk about this week's most interesting stories in the municipal bond market. And I am your host, Young Lim, desk editor at DebtWire Municipals. Hello again. And it is Tuesday, December 17, 2019. And we've got a special podcast devoted to the lawsuit which pits Person Hollow versus Nuveen. And we've got two reporters on the line today. We've got Caitlin Devitt in Chicago and Chuck Stanley in DC. And they'll both discuss this long awaited trial where we, there's some end to it at this point. But we have both these uh, reporters here because Caitlin has been covering the story and Chuck has been at the courthouse uh, covering in person. So let's go, go let's, let's talk about the story and we'll start with Kaylin. Kaylin, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? All right. So the lawsuit brought by Preston Hollow Capital against Nuveen was probably one of the most closely watched stories of the year in our market. What's the background? Well, the background is Preston Hollow Capital. It's based in Dallas. It's about five years old. It buys high-yield muni debt. Often it works directly with an issuer, um, like, for example, Roosevelt University in Chicago, uh, which had become, which became a point of contention in the trial, is is an, is an example of worked directly with Roosevelt for to craft a deal and then bought all of their all the paper. And Nuveen, as most of us know, is a giant mutual fund based in Chicago. It's the largest buyer of muni bonds in the country. So Preston sued Nuveen in late February of this year, sort of setting up this David and Goliath dynamic. Um, they accused the firm, and specifically its head of municipals, whose name is John Miller, of engaging in essentially a campaign of intimidation, trying to block it from the market. It, the Preston alleged that Nuveen used its market power, you know, it sort of weaponized its considerable market power to organize a boycott among bankers and broker-dealers. Basically, they said Nuveen threatened, well, we also know that they did do this because we saw these telephone transcripts. Nuveen threatened to withdraw business or penalize any broker-dealer or banker that worked with Preston. That was the allegations. They brought a bunch of claims. They sued him in Delaware Chancery Court. And as I said, they, they produced these tele- transcripts of telephone conversations between ver- various Nuveen employees, including Miller and different market participants, talking about Preston that Preston said supported its claims. So let's talk about the plaintiff's claims. Let's talk about uh, Preston Hollow, their claims, and these transcripts you were mentioning. What do they show? Preston originally brought four. There was torturous interference with the contract, torture inter- interference with the business relationship, defamation, and violations of, of uh, New York's antitrust law. So the judge, whose name is Sam Glasscock, threw out the torturous interference with the contract claim. And he essentially sort of moved the defamation claim to the Delaware Superior Court. That's actually, it's going to be, that'll be interesting because that's going to be taken up by the Superior Court probably later after we see some sort of resolution of the last two claims which are outgoing, which which are remaining. So the judge has to rule on the torturous interference with the business relationship and the antitrust, the alleged antitrust violations. So the transcripts are interesting. They there was a lot of them, and they they were took place in late December or late 2018. And supposedly, Preston had been sort of hearing throughout 2018 rumblings and rumors about Nuveen 
sort of saying these things about them and threatening to withdraw its business, as I was saying, from other mar- market participants that worked with Preston. And then these alleged threats sort of reached a little bit of a high point in late December, in late 2018 and, and in December. And these the transcripts are from that from December of 2018. So they give us real detailed glimpses into the competitive world of high-yield muni bonds and how investors, you know, are fighting over this paper that's real scarce and how badly bankers and dealers want to work with Naveen and what links they're willing to go to placate them because Naveen's often the biggest revenue generator in a lot of these guys' um, portfolios. So they're real important. So we kind of get a sense of how important relationships out are and the power that Naveen has on Wall Street. The transcripts show Naveen uh, is threatening to put in the box any firm that works with Preston, as I said, and it shows Naveen employees, including Miller and others, disparaging Preston and saying it's a sort of an unethical firm and it's bad for the market because it crafts bad deals and it doesn't treat issuers issuers well. So the transcripts and the different filings back and forth set up this real juicy trial, which happened in late July. There was also a post-trial hearing in September. And I know Chuck, as you said, was there. So he's going to talk a little bit more about that. So let's jump ahead for a minute, Caitlin. Um, What's the latest news? I think some big news happened last week. Yes, uh, we were late Friday, and we reported on it yesterday, Monday. Um, we finally heard from the judge, Glasscock, and he'd originally, as Chuck had reported, he'd originally promised to do a quick ruling after the September hearing, so we were all sort of waiting for it. But then it's been months and months since it was over, and it was radio silence from the court. So we were all a little bit... Um, uncertain of what's going on. but So what happened this week is the judge held a conference call on Friday with the parties, and during that conference call, he denied a motion that Nuveen had made in November to reopen the trial record to submit new evidence, which was actually about Roosevelt University bonds and, and the pricing. But anyway, during the call, the judge said he expects to rule against Nuveen. He just openly said that. He said he knows everybody's been waiting for the ruling, and he sort of apologized for taking so long, and he said he, he he wants to issue one. He wants to want issue one relatively quickly, and he expects it to be against Nuveen. He said specifically he expects to find Nuveen's behavior torturous, and he said his ruling would, quote, not be complimentary to Nuveen. But the problem, he said, was, and what's been taking him so long, is he doesn't really know how to enforce the ruling or what kind of remedy to impose. He, thinks, he said it's really complicated to craft a ruling that doesn't infringe on Nuveen's rights. He asked the parties if they wanted to mediate to try to come up with their own resolution. He'd asked them to do this before. He'd really pushed them to do this before. And in fact, they did take, I think it was two weeks after the post-trial hearing. Um, and then they both came back and said it was impossible. They couldn't, they couldn't, the talks were fruitless and they needed the judge to rule. So he basically asked them to do it again, this time with the added urgency that comes from the fact that he signaled, openly signaled how he's going to rule. So... Um, he gave them, they, or they kind of went back and forth, the attorneys and the judge, and now they have until, the parties have until December 24th to get back to him with whether they want to attempt to mediate or if they've rejected that and what the guidepost for mediation will be. So that's where we're at right now. He, that conference call took place late Friday. It was, um, as I said, pretty big development in the fact that he told us what he's thinking, and now we're going to wait for them to get back, and that'll be the next thing that'll happen late next week. Although when 
just as an aside, the Chancery Court in Delaware has been very difficult to deal with. It's very expensive um, for those of us who deal with court filings and who rely on it and who are interested in it, just anybody, not just the media. Mm-hmm. You know, for example, it costs 20 bucks just to look at the docket. Wow. And then it's very expensive to download the documents, and a lot of them are confidential. So anyway, it's a little bit of a pain to deal with it. But in any case, that's the next deadline we're all looking forward to, the 24th of December. Wow, 20 bucks just to look at a filing, I guess. uh... Not to look at the filing, just to look at the docket. Wow. Just to even look at what's been filing. Then if you want to download the filing, that's even more expensive. So just a glance at the docket is 20 bucks. Wow. Well, I guess we have to send Chuck there more often. <laughs> let's, but speaking of Chuck, <laughs> let's, let's move on to Chuck. Chuck, how are you doing out there in D.C.? I'm doing great. Thanks, John. All right. So you heard what Caitlin said, and you know what's been going on. So how does this latest update square with what you actually saw in the, in the courtroom? Well, I think Caitlin's reporting on this latest development, the difficulty crafting an injunction and Judge Glasscock's preference that the two sides come to some sort of agreement on how to remedy the situation really reflects a conflict that was flagged during the trial and even in the pretrial hearings. And that's the fact that the only remedy Preston Hollow requested in this case was injunctive relief. So that would mean presumably an order saying Naveen is forbidden from the sort of activity Preston Hollow accused it of, you know, trashing Preston Hollow to banks and broker dealers and threatening to withhold business from those entities if they did deals with Preston Hollow. But that then raises the question of how the court can construct an order that achieves that without impinging on Naveen's rights. Naveen has a right to free speech protected by the U.S. and Delaware constitutions, and it has a right to do business, or in this case, not do business, with other firms in the market it sees as it sees fit. So under a potential injunction, does Preston Hollow become like Naveen's Lord Voldemort, where even mention (laughs) of the firm's name is off limits? At this point, that could be a wise policy for them legally, but as a court order, it's not likely to pass muster with the First Amendment. And it's that thorny question that wound up sinking Preston Hollow's defamation claim earlier in the year before it even got to trial. Glasscock dismissed the claim, citing fear that the injunction wouldn't square with Delaware State Constitution's free speech protections. And as Caitlin mentioned, that claim's been taken up on appeal by Delaware Superior Court. So then that killed the, the defamation claim, but it sounds like you're saying the court didn't find the request for injunction as problematic with the two claims that went to trial? Yes, but I think it was still clear that the court found the issue problematic across the board. Glasscock stopped short of saying a constitutionally viable order would be impossible to craft for the two counts that made it to trial. But he made it clear that after final arguments that such an order would be tough to craft and equally difficult to monitor. And that makes sense if you think about it. Even if you get past the free speech issues, Nuveen's already made it clear that it feels it has an interest in punishing broker-dealers that work with Preston Hollow. So if they put, say, Goldman Sachs or Deutsche Bank in the box right after one of them does a deal with Preston Hollow, the message is probably going to be pretty clear, but it would be hard to prove, especially since the testimony at the trial suggested that overwhelmingly none of these broker-dealers want to appear in court and accuse Naveen of acting illegally or even unethically. The court really can't require Naveen to maintain a certain level of business with any of these banks if it feels there's a legitimate business reason not to. So the question becomes, how do you write an order that stops Naveen from withholding its business from firms as a form of punishment, and how do you monitor and enforce it if the alleged anti-competitive behavior could be completely unspoken? 
it's possible, but it's a hard needle to thread. And I think that's why the court really wants the two sides to come to an agreement on their own about how to resolve this. Chuck, you were mentioning something about in the box. What do you mean by that? Right. So that's a term that came up a lot um, in the courtroom, and it's, it's a term of art that essentially means you know one firm cuts off business to another for a limited period of time, usually as, as punishment or retribution for some perceived impropriety or slight. But the definition of the term and its severity as a means of recourse was you know, a major subject of debate. Preston Hollow claims that in the case of, of Nuveen and these broker-dealers, the threat was enough to strong on these very powerful institutions into cutting off their business with the smaller firm. But Nuveen says that it's really just an empty term that doesn't have much meaning other than let somebody know that you're angry. Uh, at one point, Nuveen's lawyers played a long video of recorded testimony from the broker-dealers that were supposedly put in the box or threatened with being put in the box for dealing with Preston Hollow. And witness after witness was shown saying that it wasn't a big deal to be put in the box or it's effectively an almost meaningless term because people in the industry just throw it around recklessly to make a point. Obviously, that testimony doesn't seem to have swayed the court, but I think it illustrates the difficult position Preston Hollow is in where it comes to getting this injunction that they want. All right, Chuck, I got one last question for you, and I got another one for you, Caitlin, in, in a second. But Chuck, was there any indication why Preston Hollow only asked for an injunction and not monetary damages? So that issue wasn't addressed directly at trial, but it's clear that Preston Hollow believed Nuveen's activity had a very real monetary cost to them to such a degree that it could threaten the firm's viability if they couldn't win some sort of court protection. And the evidence Preston Hollow presented about deals that it believes it lost because of Nuveen's interference shows that they feel that they can at least put a rough dollar value on that. They said over and over again that Nuveen's actions are continuing to hurt their business because none of the broker-dealers want, wanted to get on Nuveen's bad side by doing a major deal with Preston Hollow. But with all that said, people who are familiar with the case told me that if Preston Hollow had demanded monetary damages, that could significantly draw out the litigation. And if the cost of Nuveen's actions was putting a big hit on Preston Hollow's bottom line, as they described it, it would likely be in their best interest to get the case over with as quickly as possible and win some assurance from Nuveen that it would allow them to recover some of the business that they've lost over this. Oh, very interesting. Well, thank you, Chuck, for... Uh your work. Uh, thank you for being in the foxhole <laughs> in the courtroom, I guess. <laughs> Thanks, Jim. All right, Kayla, let's, let's wrap it up with you. Let me ask you, what does this all mean overall in, in the marketplace? Since we've been covering this so long, it seems like it it's a, has a lot of attention, a lot of eyeballs. What do you think this means overall? Well, I wish I had. A, I mean, it's kind of <laughs> difficult to answer that question just because Partly it's just because it remains to be seen. We're going to have to see what happens. It looks like it's going to be early next year before we get a sense of what a final resolution is going to be. That would include terms. And terms could end up impacting other buyers and sellers. Um, but it's a little unlikely, and it's too soon to tell. And, you know, I mean, we know we talked a little bit about how com the competitive nature of high-yield bonds and the fight for paper. We know that's going to continue, especially in the market we have right now, the you know, yield-hungry market we have right now. We know that's going to continue. Um, we There's still the defamation claim to litigate, so that could pop up again. I mean, that's going to kind of continue. And, and just to... You know, what Chuck was saying about the speed, I think that's also, I'd heard that that's why it was filed in the Chancery Court also, because it, 
you know, kind of move through that court more quickly, which was Preston Hollow had an interest in doing that. So we saw the defamation claim, but, you know, we know relationships are going to continue to be like the most important thing in the business. That's not going to change. The power of Nuveen as, as, you know, a massive buyer is not going to change. And its market influence isn't going to change, at least as a result of this lawsuit. Our market's self-regulated and it's pretty convoluted, but um, I guess, you know, people paid, not just us, but a lot of people paid real close attention to it. It gave, you know, as I was saying, this sort of great insight into this sort of opaque niche corner of the market. Right. So if nothing else, I think people are going to get more aware of how they conduct business with each other, how they talk to each other, and that there are lines that maybe shouldn't be crossed that cross that have been crossed or or were crossed in the past um, based on this idea of what of it's allowed because it's competitive and we're allowed to do this because it's this real competitive market so maybe that maybe this lawsuit will make those lines a little bit brighter a little bit clearer of what's competitive and what what might be actually crossing some even uh, legal uh, or even ethical lines right well like you said, it's something uh, we'll look forward for for the actual ruling from the judge. But like you said, for now, he verbally said he is in favor of Preston Hollow. But again, we'll wait the actual ruling soon. So thank you, uh, Caitlin. Thank you, Chuck. Thank you to our producer, Anthony Phillips, for making us sound good. And thank you to our listeners out there who keep uh, tuning in to DebtWire.com for the latest on distress, we need debt, and the latest on Preston Hollow versus Nuveen Capital. Hope everyone has a good holiday, and we'll see you again soon. Take care, everybody.